What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and music is for the people. We at Rockstrikes10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels or hopefully the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, it is now time for part four of six, the top 60 albums of the year 1991, according to myself, me, myself, and I, Joey. Listen to a lot of records from the year 1991, as I do with all of these particular year-based countdowns. And I give you my truthful, honest approach to that particular year. Some of it is based in nostalgia. Some of it's just based in present mode, because I don't have certain nostalgia for some of these albums. So it's an interesting mix, especially for years that I was alive. And I, I tend to do most years that I was alive in. I'll be doing some older ones here and there. But for right now, we're going back to the year in which I was about 12 years old for most of it. (laughs) Okay, so coming in at number 30 uh, is a band that I knew of at the time. And I became a fan about, you know, 10 years after this particular album's release by purchasing a best of of theirs. And I've heard some of their albums over the years. And I'm like, man, this is a damn good band. And really, I think, you know, starting with number 40 on this countdown, it's like pretty essential stuff that I would say you should listen to these records. So as we go on, it's going to be more and more like, oh, you got to listen to this record. And this is definitely a lost album at the time. Uh, But yes, the fourth album here by Drama Rama called Vinyl came out on October 15th, 1991, co-produced by the band Drama Rama and Don Smith. Uh, This is one of those albums that's so not heralded, like literally has a very weak Wikipedia entry. And I talked about my usage of Wikipedia at the beginning of this countdown. I don't like to use it very much, but especially when it comes to like, hey, this is how it's represented online. I feel kind of bad because, you know, like I said, this is a great record and it actually gives wrong info. So I want to call it out for giving wrong information. So I'm literally just tracking here on my phone. They list the personnel on this album as Mick Taylor on guitar. Yes, the Rolling Stone, Mick Taylor. Bent Montench of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers on piano and organ. Jim Keltner on drums and Brian McLeod on drums. Now, all those particular musicians do appear on this particular album. But, you know, here and there, and some just in guest spots. But that's a really horrible job that someone did putting that on Wikipedia because... The core of Dramarama is Chris Carter, Mr. E, Pete Wood, and John Eastdale for this particular album, at least the lineup on this album, are those four guys. And in no way are they listed here on the Wikipedia entry. So that's very misleading. And I just wanted to go on record saying 
that entry is wrong. If I had the inclination to take the time to edit a page such as that, I would definitely change that part about it. But I just wanted to bring that up. Now, the, the Rolling Stones connection is interesting because on this album, they do cover a song called Memo from Turner, which is a Jagger Richards song, albeit released as a Mick Jagger solo song on the performance soundtrack back in the day. Uh, but like I said, Mick, Bentmont, Jim Keltner, all those guys, they do play on this album, but, you know, they, they guest perform, so... All right, everybody got that? Okay, let's get back to the actual album itself. This is a really cool album. And, you know, with all those references to those more vetted musicians, there's a lot of throwback here. If you're a fan of 60s psychedelic, little bit of power pop, and basically just, you know, 80s, 90s college rock, all Turner rock, then this is the album for you. And this is one of those songs upon my real initial listen of this, even though I've had the CD for years. One of those things, right? We all do it. But this one, I was like, wow, this is a great song. I can't believe it wasn't a hit. Really stuck out. So I'm going to go with this one right here. So kicking off the show, we got Dramarama for you with What Are We Gonna Do? It's April 21st and everybody knows today is Earth Day. Merry Christmas, happy birthday to whoever's being born. And now I'm trying hard to think of something meaningful and worthy, kind of earthy, to make everybody ask themselves just, what are we doing here?
It's April 21st, and everybody knows today is Earth Day. Merry Christmas, happy birthday to whoever's being. Kicking off the show tonight and coming in at number 30 on the top albums of 1991 countdown here on Rock Strikes 10. From the album Vinyl, that was Dramarama with the song What Are We Gonna Do? Great, great song. I noticed like the big 60s push. It's weird because, you know, there was some 60s nostalgia in the 80s, but I feel like the 60s nostalgia really peaked in the early 90s. And then the 70s nostalgia peaked in the mid 90s. So all that 20 year thing, the gap was a little bit behind just kind of catching up with pop culture and, you know, Madison Avenue and all that stuff. So yeah, that, that's just uh, my train of thought. So let's get back on track here. Coming in at number 29 here on the countdown. Speaking of great songwriting, this guy right here, of course, one of the great songwriters of all time, Elvis Costello, and his 13th album at this point in 1991, Mighty Like a Rose. Now, so that makes him pretty much one of those guys that's putting out an album a year. So super prolific, and at this point, showing no signs of really waning in his talent. This album is very up and down in its moods, and so it's really hard to pick a song. And I actually really wanted to go with the launch single off of this, which is an ultimate tribute to the Beach Boys, a song called The Other Side of Summer. Even though the lyrics are completely depressing, it has that Beach Boys upbeat, you know, totally like throwback surf feel to it. But I want to go with this one right here. This was a song, I guess it was left over from the Spike Sessions, because it's another one of those songs that Elvis Costello co-wrote with Paul McCartney. And this is a goddamn great song. Uh, One of the great wistful ballads of all time. So I'm going to play this one. So coming from the album Mighty Like a Rose, this is Elvis Costello with So Like Candy. Here lies the powder and perfume Oh, in place, and it's so. 
records that she scratched And on the sleeve I find a note Elvis Costello right there with So Like Candy from the album Mighty Like a Rose, the number 29 album here of 1991. I failed to mention that album came out on May 14th of 1991, co-produced by Elvis Costello, Mitchell Froome, and Kevin Killen. Uh, If you're a CD guy like I am still, I still, you know, I'm a vinyl guy at heart, but I love my CDs as well. I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't say still go buy CDs because I do. I I still love them. I think one of the best CD reissue campaigns of all time was when Rhino Records did the two CD reissues for the entirety of Elvis Costello's catalog. If you see Elvis Costello CDs out and about and you're interested in picking them up, anything with the Rhino label on it with the extra disc on there because all those are out of print now, but they're still decently affordable, a good amount of them. And some of the bonus tracks on there are excellent. You know, as bonus tracks go, some of them are used once in the story, but there's like interesting covers and live performances on there and truly great stuff. And the booklets are like little mini books in themselves. So really think it's just a great full immersion into that career. All right, coming in at number 28, was the final studio album in Freddie Mercury's Lifetime, released by Queen. And this album was released on February 4th of 1991, co-produced by Queen and David Richards. And I'm literally recording this on the 30th anniversary of Freddie's death. So that's kind of weird. I've been seeing him in my feed all day. Of course, along with the late, great Eric Carr. They both died on the same day of today, 30 years ago in 1991. Weird. Uh, But getting back to Freddie and Queen... The interesting thing about Innuendo, as we've come to realize later on, like with David Bowie, for instance, uh, he knew he was going to go and he called his own shot and he banked an album or two before he died. Of course, you know, the one they put out after Innuendo called Made in Heaven. Uh, He recorded all that material, you know, with that knowing he was not going to be around for much longer. So he was able to be massively introspective. And that's really what this album is. People say this isn't like a quote unquote, like classic Queen album. 
And you're probably right, but, you know, I think the last handful of Queen albums in Freddy's lifetime are actually pretty underappreciated. There's some really good stuff on Miracle that people have really never given a chance. You know, I like the works and, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, Innuendo, it's not a perfect album. Uh, but it's hard for me to rip it apart on the principle, you know, with all this backstory, of course, you know, it's hard to hate on it. I, I don't love every song on it, but the great stuff on here is truly great in my opinion. And I, I think the opening track is just untouchable. So I'm going to include it on here. Of course, the ballads, you know, they're great. They're super sad. So it's really hard for me to listen to them still. I do think the show must go on as one of the great album closers of all time. But I'm going to go with this one since we're closer to the top of the show. Let's go with the album opener. Of course, the title track. This is Queen with the epic title track, Innuendo. Enjoy.
Coming in at number 28 right there, the song Innuendo, of course, from the album of the same name. That was Queen. Great epic stuff right there. Nothing but the best. And, you know, I, I remember reading this a few years ago. So cool. The only ever guest star on a studio track on a Queen song is in that song right there. That really cool flamenco section right there in the middle. That's actually Brian May along with Steve Howe from Yes kind of dueling it out there. I love that, man. Like, such a great moment and a real special thing to add to, you know, kind of a special album on principle right there. And this is weird. We're kind of in the death motif right here, to quote Spinal Tap. And this is weird because this album contains mostly lead vocals by someone who's no longer with us. And this album is a tribute to someone who had died long before their time. So we're going to talk about the Temple of the Dog record was released on April 16th, 1991, co-produced by the band and Rick Parishar. And this is, you know, a pre-fame Pearl Jam and uh, just on the brink of breaking Soundgarden and paying tribute to their late friend Andrew Wood, of course, lead singer of Mother Love Bone, you know, of course, using people that were in the band that went on to become Pearl Jam later. You know the story, right? Do I have to really go into it? No, I don't have to. But this is a pretty cool record. I don't love it. 
Like I Love the Apple Album by Mother Love Bone, but that one's hard to top. But there's some inspired performances on here for sure. I mean, how much more inspired can you get, honestly, uh, between this and Innuendo, right? And if you're a big Chris Cornell fan, this album really does have some of his best vocal performances on it. You know, for a one-off, you could tell they took it just really seriously, probably more seriously than any album maybe any of these artists ever approached. So it's a special album on principle. And weirdly enough, I did not buy this when it came out, even though I was definitely being told to. Uh, of course, going back to referencing Z-Rock, they played the absolute hell out of both of the singles off of this. And of course, you could not escape the Hunger Strike song almost a full year, year and a half after the album was even released. That's when we really got bombarded with this album because now all these bands are super famous. So let's get some more mileage out of it. So I always wondered how those guys felt about it, but I guess at the same time, it's like it's bringing attention to Andrew and, you know, why they did it. So even though I'm sure they were a little bit conflicted about it, I'm sure at the end of the day, it's like, oh, that's a good thing. So that's how I'm going to view it. I said we try not to go super obvious here on Rock Strike 10, so I'm not going to play Hunger Strike. Honestly, of the two singles, I do like Say Hello to Heaven a lot more. Uh, so I'm going to go with Say Hello to Heaven once again, just because some of Chris Cornell's vocals on here are just amazing. But I really, really dig all the music on this. I think it's great. So yeah, here you go. To represent the self-titled Temple of the Dog album, this is Temple of the Dog with Say Hello to Heaven.
Okay, Temple of the Dog right there with Say Hello to Heaven, as in the number two, even though it's not a Prince song. And the number 37 album right there of 1991. Let's kick the mood up quite a bit here. Let's let's get into something more up-tempo and more fun, honestly. Let's get out of this death thing and go into some hip-hop. Let's get into some hip-hop. Like I said, on all these episodes, 1991, for me, personally, was the absolute peak of creativity and overall greatness of hip-hop albums like i said there's quite a few here on this countdown and yes a guy that actually wouldn't really uh, hit any kind of mainstream success at least with any crossover mainstream success for another 10 years this guy actually did a guest spot on the first gorilla single the song clint eastwood it's one of those songs you know it if you heard it but del the funky homo sapien yes weird name right but man hell of a rapper hell of a writer he put out his debut album on October 22nd, 1991. The album is called I Wish My Brother George Was Here. And I think another reason why 1991 is so great, it's like one of the last years where you could do all this crazy sampling and not have to pay. It's a lot of it, right? And there's a lot of crazy samples on this. But man, this guy just has a flow and he's fun to listen to. And it's another true case of like you hear in multiple spots here on this countdown. They just don't make them like this anymore. I have a massive good old day syndrome for the way hip hop and rap music used to be. And you'll hear it on this one right here. This is, as a solo artist, this is his most recognizable song. But I didn't want to not play it just for that reason. Just in case you've never heard it before. This thing is badass. I love it. I never get sick of it. And one of the weirdest samples ever right here at the beginning that they use for the loop and the hook in the course. Once again, this is Del the Funky Homo Sapien and Mr. Dabalina. Oh. I know I'm drunk now. Ladies and gentlemen, I, for, I forgot my favorite man sitting over there. His name is Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina. Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina. 
Just is not the key, Dabalina. It's all in the mind and the heart, so you should start by remembering you gotta pay a fee, Dabalina. There you go. Del the Funky Homo Sapien with Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina. 
Yes, you can't not say it now, now that you've heard it. And yes, if you're a hardcore music nerd, you'll recognize that the basis of that sample, that where that Mr. Davalina sample comes from, an oddity in itself, uh, this track from the Monkees Headquarters album, a track called Zilch, which was just kind of a run-on song, will sound like an improv thing. And that's where it comes from. That's Peter Tork's voice saying Mr. Davalina, Mr. Bob Davalina right there. So apparently the idea was that he was going to write a song to let people know who this person actually was because I guess he had heard the song randomly at some point. He was like, let's do something on that. And all the hook in the chorus with the female singers, that's straight off of a Parliament song. There's a there's a Parliament album called Glory Hallow Stupid, and that's where all that's from. So taking a bunch of weird references and making a real song out of it, it once again, I think is a lost art form in the genre. And by the way, if you didn't know, Del the Funky Homo Sapien is a cousin of Ice Cube. So you might hear a lot of that kind of articulation from Ice Cube's voice in his voice as well. I think it does run in the family. So a lot of talent there, a lot of talent. And I think Dell might be, and, I'm, and I feel like I've been keeping good track here. I think he's the only West Coast guy so far on the countdown. There's going to be one more West Coast guy for sure. But yeah, he's a, an Oakland guy and not a lot of Oakland rappers in my catalog, but Dell easily is the best out of that area for my money. Okay. All right, let's stick with the Bay Area right here for this next entry. This band, one of the more popular rock bands of the last three decades, of course, is Green Day. And I talked about Green Day on the 1990 countdown because they put out their debut album in 90. But they're already back, just making it in at the tail end of 1991 on December 17th, to be exact. Their sophomore album called Kerplunk, co-produced by the band and Andy Ernst. And yeah, you know, even when Green Day were happening and then when I finally got into them, kind of around the Insomniac era, you know, I slowly got all the other records. I never really got massively on board with the first two albums. They're pretty good, but this one right here really sounds good in retrospect. So I'm really digging Kerplunk lately. I'm having my peak with it right now as a fan. So it did pretty well right here. Coming in at number 25, if, I'm ha if I have that right, I'll let you know for sure once we get back from this song. But yeah, here's a great song, a fan favorite, a band favorite, the kickoff track from Kerplunk. Turn it up. This is 2,000 Light Years Away. I'm 
Coming in at number 25 right there, the top albums of 1991. And yes, I have that right. That was 25. Green Day with the album Curb Plunk right there. And the song 2000 Light Years Away. A nice little romantic song that Billy wrote while he was missing his fiance right there. From fake British accents to actual British accents. A band that, man, when I started this countdown, I, I knew of this band. I saw them on the nomination list, and they did extremely well for an album that I have zero nostalgia for. And I think really a lot of this is attributed to, and I talked about the quote-unquote shoegaze bands, but also the fact that you could tell that they were listening to a lot of cool Midwest punk in America. I hear tons of replacements and Husker Du influences, and a lot of these bands at this point I talked about how Susie and the Banshees and Generation X were the product of bands like the Pistols and the Buzzcocks and the Clash and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but equally, bands in the early 90s really showing that influence. I mean, even the Goo Goo Dolls were basically a replacements cover band stylistically before they really started writing, you know, massive pop songs for radio consumption. Uh, but this band right here, once again, I hear a lot of cool Midwest punk influence. And, you know, combined with that quote-unquote shoegaze thing and what the My Bloody Valentine was doing and stuff like that. So with all those snobby pop culture, rock culture references I'm making right here, still kind of a little surprised to see this band do so well on this countdown from a dude like me. But good music is good music right here. So Swerve Driver, their debut album called Rays, came out on September 30th, 1991, self-produced. Not a lot to say, I just really dig this album. I'm sure in the circles where this band is popular, this is an obvious thing. But man, if you're not aware, Swerve Driver, man, if you like guitar-driven distortion, and, you know, they say shoegaze, but it's not super ballady. It's definitely more up-tempo kind of stuff. So if you just like alternative and punk rock music in general, check out this band if you haven't given them a chance already. So here you go. The number 24 album is Rays. The band is Swerve Driver. And this song is called Son of Mustang Ford.
right, hope you had that one cranked really loud. Swerve Driver with Son of Mustang Ford from their debut album, Rays. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you dive deep on them. I'm going to go do it now. I've, I'm guilty of not having heard the rest of the catalog, but I'm, I'm along for the ride. So, yeah, come along with me. Moving on here to a band that definitely defined the 90s for me in a lot of ways. I often cite this band as the band that got me through high school. That's for damn sure. So Billy Corgan is one of my favorite people, and I'm a big Smashing Pumpkins fan. Longtime friends of the show know this. I did a whole episode defending them. I've been on podcasts to talk about the Smashing Pumpkins, multiple podcasts. <laughs> yes, I'm that fan. And the Pumpkins put out their debut record on May 28th, 1991. The album is called Gish. It's co-produced by Billy Corgan and Butch Vig, who, of course, would go on to be one of the in-demand producers because, you know, he produced Nevermind and some other influential albums. Let's not discount his time with the Pumpkins. He did this album. He also, of course, did Siamese Dream. So as far as pushing the guitar sonics, to me, nobody had it better uh, as far as guitar sonics and just the overall nature and feel of whatever the 90s was supposed to be than the Smashing Pumpkins. It may be bleak. Okay, all right, the Simpsons reference right there. But so I, I've established how big of a fan I am of the Pumpkins. I'm not the biggest fan of Gish. It's got some really cool songs on there, but it's not my favorite. That, hence why it's just, you know, it's only number 23 on this countdown here. So you would think that I'm such a big fanboy, it automatically we get a top 10 spot, but that's not how I roll on here. So I think this is a respectable entry for it, and it's in the exact right place that it should be. I still remember, like, you know, rummaging through a Rolling Stone issue that I had, and, you know, I used to get Rolling Stone subscriptions because my mom would get subscriptions to a few random magazines that, you know, I would read and consume uh, in hopes of winning Publishers Clearinghouse. Anybody else have that parent? Okay, yes. And, and thanks, Ma. I appreciate the distractions and everything. But I remember seeing a picture of the Pumpkins and, you know, just seeing the name of the band and going, man, I'm never going to listen to that band. It's such a stupid-ass name. That was my first impression of them. But, man, should have been on board earlier. Great band. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to go with an obvious track from the album. But I like to use this as a representative because it's a super strong track. It's the second song on the album and the would-be band name of the Smashing Pumpkins. This was actually the name that Billy was thinking of using prior to going with the Smashing Pumpkins. And I definitely would have given them more of a shot early on with this name that, you know, wasn't so dumb. So, so here you go. To represent the Gish album, this is the Pumpkins. And the song is called Siva.
right, the Smashing Pumpkins right there coming in at number 23 here on the Top Albums Countdown of 1991. We're up to number 22 right here with a band who definitely was doing even a little bit better than the Smashing Pumpkins at this time. They had two very acclaimed full-length albums prior to this, and they were going to be huge by the end of 1991. Talking about Soundgarden and the album Bad Motor Finger, which came out on October 8th of 1991, co-produced by the band and Terry Date. Terry Date, great metal producer. I say metal, hard rock, you know, whatever you want to call it. But he makes great sounding albums. Uh, so I definitely give him a lot of credit too with this one because, you know, you, you hear what he did once he got with the band on Louder Than Love. So you cannot discount how much he added to the band. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big producer nerd, so I tend to like to focus on those kind of things. Of course, very talented band, Soundgarden. And I remember borrowing the CD of this I got it on CD like years later, and so I didn't have like a nostalgic journey with this. I recognize that it's got some really cool songs on it. Uh, so that all being said, I think it did pretty well here on the countdown for something that I wasn't massively engulfed with at the time. And there'll be a few more albums like that as we go in here, even through the top 20. Uh, but yeah, of course, you definitely can't front on like Rusty Cage and Jesus Christ Pose and Outshine. Those are great classic hard rock songs now at this point. Uh, but, you know, as we do here on Rock Strikes 10, I remember when I, you know, went to go listen to this album for the ranking system. I was like, I definitely want to go out of my way to focus on a song that you haven't heard a billion times. So if you don't own this album and you're not a big fan, then here's a little extra meat on the bone for you on this Bad Motorfinger record. So here's Soundgarden with probably, I think, maybe the heaviest song on here. Uh, it's hard to really gauge that, but I'll, I'll go with it. The heaviest song on Bad Motorfinger this is Room a Thousand Years Wide. Turn it up.
All right, some Soundgarden right there for you. Super heavy song right there. Room a Thousand Years Wide. From the album, of course, Bad Motor Finger. Great title, by the way. All right, let's close off the show with something completely different. Getting back into some power pop right here. Some Midwest power pop. Really doesn't get any better than Midwest when it comes to power pop, right? Uh, I could definitely got to give my friend Steve credit for introducing me to this band. I, I've been told about this band over the years, but I finally pulled the trigger on them. Thanks to Steve. So thank you, Steve. And I know he probably got into this band due to the association of the producer of this particular album is Jeff Murphy, who was the singer and guitar player for Midwest Power Pop Legends Shoes. Really cool band you should check out. Uh, But this band here, Material Issue, their first major album, first major studio album called International Pop Overthrow. Another great album title right there. And there's nothing really to hate about this album. If you like catchy songs then this is an album you definitely want to check out. And once again, following the power pop rule, have a lot of songs with girls' names in them. Uh, so like the, really the first three songs on the album and the closing song are, all have girls' names on it. So we're kind of the early peak of the album right here I want to use to represent here this album. Once again, the album is called International Pop Overthrow. The band is Material Issue. And here's a really killer track right here. Closing off tonight's show here with Renee remains the same.
Closing off the show here tonight, number 21 in the top albums of 1991, Material Issue in the album International Pop Overthrow. And once again, that song title was called Renee Remains the Same. Okay, we have been through 40 albums here in my top 60 of 1991. Yes, I know math. Uh, So yes, we've only got two more episodes to go and 20 more albums. Going to be 20 scorchers right here. And man, like... All the variety still to come, all the fun still to come. Of course, we're only going to get better, right? So, anybody who's going out of their way to promote this show, know that you are a friend of mine. Thank you so very much. I'm recording this on Thanksgiving Eve. Even though it's a racist holiday, I want to say thank you to those extra special friends of the show that do share the show, promote it, interact with me online. You know who you are. I need to get that composite list because I don't like to leave people out, but, you know. Yeah, you know who you are. You're listening. You're listening to the show. You probably are one of those cool people. And if you're not, I want to know you. If I don't know who you are and you're listening, send me a message. Okay, I'll stop rambling. I'm going to try to refine this top 20 because it's changing by the day. So until then, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, who I'm extremely, extremely grateful for. I give all the thanks. She's going to take it away here with the plugs and the best damn outro song and all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, our new kittens, Ruby and Ripley, get a treat. We're on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have Rock Strikes 10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going back all the way to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. Talking Rock with Joey and the great Mark Streakle of Talking Metal and the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. Last but not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent you. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.
Post-game show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.